Okay, guys. 22 is when the gospel is not central. How to carefully correct. Because if you all go out and plant churches, it, it won't be as if you, you put everything in place on day one. Okay, all of our systems are good. Autopilot, turn them all on. We never need to check them again. That's not how it works. Um, everything you have in place as a church, every ministry, will require constant and continual attention and maintenance. Okay? Um, constant, just, like a, just like a vehicle. You need, needs a constant maintenance. Um, so will your ministries. And occasionally something, hap- something goes wrong that needs to be fixed. We should always be recentering, okay? Um, when you guys get a teacher to come in and teach about the Reformation, you, you are in for a, a really good thing. His name is Dr. Andre Gazal. He's a friend of mine, and, and, he used, and he was a former teacher of Josh, but he lives in Bozeman. He's from my city, and uh, his son and my son are very good friends, but he... Um, he, uh, Dr. Gazal, he did his PhD, his dissertation on the English Reformation. Very smart. He's a very smart man. Um, but the, anyway, the, who, who can tell me, does anyone know, this is kind of the unofficial um, saying or motto after the Reformation that was the cry of the Protestant church? It's in Latin. Semper, who says it? Semper Reformanda which means always reforming. So the Reformation itself was not something that once, once it was done, okay, we reformed, I guess we're good, we'll check in again in another, you know, uh, 1,700 years, 1,500 years, excuse me. Um, no, Semper Reformanda means always reforming constantly recentering because the reformers realized that the reason the reformation was needed in such a drastic way is because the church was not reforming every step of the way so let me let me ask you what was the purpose of the reformation and i understand bless you there are a number of correct answers, but primarily to recover the gospel. That's true. How did that happen? Yes. Yes. The purpose of the Reformation was to place this book at the center of our life and doctrine. Because over centuries it had drifted. Rather, No, it didn't drift, rather the church drifted. And we, the, the church was taking the authority of the Pope over the authority of Scripture. They were estimating the authority of tradition over the authority of Scripture. People were not reading the Bible in their own language even. You know this. Uh, they had to depend completely upon their priests. Um, the gospel was entirely misunderstood, as is evidenced by um, the fact that people could buy indulgences. You know about this? I can go sin and then, and then come pay the priest and I'll be fine. He'll, he'll forgive me. Um, bless you. And all of it happened because the 
church did not keep the word of God as the center of their life and practice. If we read this book, and if we believe this book, we will be okay. Right? If, uh, if our churches commit to read this book and follow this book, we will be okay. Uh, so not just at, at the level of the entire of Christendom, all of Christianity all over the planet, but at each individual church level, we need to always be reforming. That doesn't mean we have to come up with new ideas all the time. No, 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 not what I mean at all. But what I mean is we need to be regularly looking at our ministries, looking at our systems, looking at our preaching, looking at our attitudes, and holding them up to Scripture, using Scripture as a mirror and saying, do these things match? And if they match, well, that's very good. If we have lost sight of the truth of Scripture, time to reform. So I understand there was the Protestant Reformation in 1517, but we should all be having little miniature reformations throughout the rest of our life. We should be tacking little, little theses to our hearts every now and then. Sorry, that was a dumb joke. Um, but we need to constantly be reforming. So that means every aspect of our liturgy, every aspect of our discipleship, every aspect of our evangelism, every aspect of how we manage our families, we should constantly be asking um, primarily is, is what I'm doing, is what we are doing as a church, does it match? Um, it, is it compatible with the teaching of scripture? We need to constantly do that. So, let's, so that this is how we evaluate. We use scripture primarily. Yes, use the Bible. If you're doing anything that is in blatant contradiction to the Bible, well, okay, you need to reform. <laughs> you need to change. Uh, I could, um, you know, a very, very obvious example is if you're doing anything that promotes the, the, the violation of the law of God, you need to stop and you need to reform. I would also encourage you, um, same as evaluating a man for ministry, use your other elders and use your other leaders. Ask them, get feedback from them. What do you think about this ministry and what we're doing? Do you see any problems with it? Do you think it makes much of scripture? Do you think it points people to the gospel? If the answer is no, oh, maybe we should pause, back up, and think about it a little bit more. And if we need to change something, if we need to make a change in the church, we realize, ooh, we are in error and we need to make some changes. We need to reform. How do we do it? <coughs> Be because you will make mistakes as a minister. I'm just, I'm telling you now. You will do things you regret. So even simple things. Oh, I should not have asked that person to lead that ministry. Um, or, oh, why did we add that to our liturgy? Or even just the details of, oh, I shouldn't have said that in that counseling session. When something needs to be reformed, how do we do it? I, I asked kind of a trick question. I, I would say it depends. It depends on what needs to be reformed we wouldn't handle every situation the same way. It depends on what it is. Some things and, uh, can be changed, you know, um, that some things that happen totally behind the scenes that nobody sees or knows about except the leadership team, the elders, if they need to make some changes, well, they just do it themselves and everyone else in the church, they just continue their life day to day, they, they can't even notice. Maybe it's something very simple like, um, 
Well, let me give you one example. Our elder team, our leadership team, we meet every week. And for the, for the longest time, I noticed we were not praying in our meeting. We weren't praying. And eventually I realized, we should, why would we not pray? Why would we not begin our time together by expressing our dependence upon God? We, we can't, we're not running this church. We don't own this church. This is not our church. This is God's church. So when we get together to meet about God's church, let's start by going to God. Oh, we needed to reform. And so we did that. That was an easy thing to do because we just decided, let's start praying before our meeting. Okay, that's an easy one to do. What about when it's something more visible or, yes, something that affects the entire church more? Maybe it's an aspect of what you do on Sunday from up front. Teaching is huge. Teaching is huge. Just tell your people, hey, church, take the time. Take the time on a Sunday. We're going to make a change as elders, and we want to tell you why. It, it, I have found when you just explain to the church what you're doing and why you give them your reasoning, they might have some questions, but typically speaking, they're not upset at you. They're not bothered. They, they, okay, we understand. We understand. When pastors try to make big changes without without telling anybody or without talking to anybody, that's when there's some problems because that communicates to the church that really that, they're, that they don't matter. It communicates to them that they don't matter. The pastor and the elders, they just make decisions on their own without any consideration for us. We do not feel cared for. So yes, just tell them. Just tell them. Here's a, so <laughs> uh, the church I worked at before we, before we planted... Their, their music ministry had some very had some problems. Some of the songs that they were choosing to sing on Sunday should not be sung in church. Um, they should not. not. Not just because they weren't the best songs, they weren't the best songs, but because they were actually not appropriate for a church setting. They just weren't. But the church has been singing these songs for years. So what do you do? A change needs to be made. What do you do? Let me give you one more example. Then I, I need to hear from you all. My brother, my younger brother, he pastors a church in a very, very conservative, very rural part of Idaho. And that church, it's common. It's common in some places in the United States, maybe, maybe the, the South as well. Um, some churches, or some people, they... They maybe view their Christianity and their nationality as the same thing. So it is common. You tell me if you've seen this. I bet you have. Uh, it is common in some parts of where I'm from that you walk into a church and they have the platform right here. And they have two flags, one on either side. Have you, seen, you know what I'm talking about? The American flag and the Christian flag. You know there's a Christian flag? Yeah, it's white and blue with a red cross. Anyway, but churches, so the, the pastor's up here preaching the gospel, preaching the word of God with a big American flag right here. And that's confusing. Listen, I love my country. I do. I love the United States. 
but if the United States changed tomorrow, or fell tomorrow, or was taken over by another country tomorrow, my faith would still stand. My, my, my faith is not founded upon my, nation, my nationality. So it, you can see it's very confusing, in my opinion, to have an American flag as part of your Christian worship. It is. So my brother came into that church and he noticed, ah, okay, what are we, what, so what are we going to do about that? So talk to me about that. What are some, what are some, what's some wisdom to keep in mind when you see something a little, uh, a little bit more uh, bigger like that, that might need some changes? This is not in my notes, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. The example that I gave, church with the American flag up front, um, a pastor, especially if you are a new pastor in that church, you probably don't want to come in on day one and try to make a bunch of big changes. That's not going to go over well. You need to decide, okay, what is most important and what, what can I take some time to change? And then you build what is called relational credibility. So in, the, in that sort of case, knowing that culture, I probably would not suggest that we remove that flag anytime in the first year of my ministry there. I probably wouldn't. I would take a year to preach faithfully. I would take a year to go to bedsides, to go to, uh, to comfort people. I would take a year to go to the sports games of, of the children in the church. I would build relational credibility. I would prove to the church, I love you all. I am here for you. I love this church. I'm not going anywhere. Um, and once you have relational credibility, you can spend some of that credibility by saying, you know, I was just thinking, let's talk about this. And um, at that point, you can make those changes. But if, if we all plant churches, it'll probably be a different sort of setting. And I don't imagine any of you will have an American flag in your churches. <laughs> nor should you, and nor should I. Um, Something like you, what about you, you make someone a leader and you realize six months later, ooh, I should not have done that. I made a mistake. This, this man should not be a deacon or an elder or something. What thoughts do you guys have? Something really challenging like that. What thoughts do you have? You need to reform, but you can't just snap your fingers and make it happen. You need a plan. You need some strategy. How are you going to do it? Let me share a few thoughts with you. Um, here are some, I think I put these in your notes. Things to do when you need to reform. Be discerning. And by that I mean, you need to ask the question, okay, does this really need to change? You, you need to discern in your context, ooh, does this really need to change? Maybe it does. Maybe it's something that's destructive to the church, it's unhealthy, and we need to make a change. Maybe. Maybe it's something that you say, you know what, I, I, think it's, I think it would do more harm than good if I tried to change this, at least for right now. Maybe I take that and set it, set it on the shelf, I'll address that later. It might do more harm than good to try to change that right now. So, some issues we need to change immediately. There are some things we know we cannot allow that in the church. Things that are gray areas, things that are difficult. 
we can say we need to be discerning. Is this something that needs to change? And how would it affect the people if I did change it? So we need to be discerning. We need to be humble. So as we're having a discussion about changing something, go into the conversations with your ears open. Listen to other people. Hey, what, what do you think about the fact that we do this at church or, you know, or whatever? Listen, be a, be a genuine good listener. And be humble. Be, be open to the idea that I might be wrong on this issue. I may be incorrect, so I need to hear other people about this. Be humble. Uh, third, be clear. Be clear about exactly what you mean. Don't, so for exa the, the example of, say, there are some really bad songs being sung in the music ministry. Be clear. Don't say something general like, oh, we, we, ne we need to change the music here. Well, what does that mean? Change the instruments, change the singers, change, what, what do you mean? Speak very specifically. Church, there are some songs that we sing that I'm not sure are the best choice for us on Sunday. When we're together, we need to sing in a way that is instructive, that honors God, and that edifies one another. So we, we want to be very intentional with the songs we sing. And I, and I think there are a few that I know we've sang here for a long time. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look into trying to, to choose some songs that do a, a better job than the ones we're singing. Yeah. So speak very, be very clear about exactly what you mean. Don't, don't let people guess or speculate about what you mean. Be very clear. Be patient. Some things take time. Some things just take time to change. They do. So you need to have the right conversations in the right order. Um, well, let me give you one example. I told you, I've told you several times, our, we would like to plant a church as a church. Emmaus Road Church would like to plant sometime soon. And there, there won't be opposition to it, but there will be people with a lot of questions. It will make a lot of people nervous. So we're, we're being very careful and very intentional about how we announce it, who we have conversations with, uh, what, what, is, what is the next step forward. We can't plant tomorrow, um, but we can start to put some things in place. So think about it this way. If you're driving, in a, if you're driving down the road and you start to fall asleep and you wake up and your car is just about off the road. You wake up right before you go off the road. What is better to do? To, you know, do a huge turn all at once to try to correct or slow, steady changes to correct yourself? Yeah, yeah. If, if you jerk the wheel too hard, you're just going to make yourself crash even sooner. I use that illustration because that sometimes changes need to take time. And so, man, I wish, I wish our music team was here. I wish they were here. And right now they're here. Well, you're not going to get them from here to here in one step. It might take two years of training, of encouraging, of equipping them with good songs. You need to... Be ready to make a plan to make some slow changes at a time. Does that make sense? Now, at the same time, there might be some things that need to be changed right now. Like, nope, nope, we're, nope, we're not being patient with that. We need to make a change right now. Can you think of an example? Hmm? Oh, yeah, yes. Yes. 
Absolutely false teaching. We are going to guard the pulpit. Yes. False teaching has to stop like yesterday. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, in other words, you're saying if you were hired at a church where there was also a woman pastor? I, 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 would, I would probably not go work for that church in the first place. <laughs> well, I, I, seriously, uh, but, um, hmm. Hmm? They didn't tell you. Surprise! Yeah, yeah. That is something. Okay, I'll tell you my opinion. That is something I would raise the issue immediately. I would say, can we please meet and talk about this? Say, because I know I'm new here, but I don't think I can be here long term if this is, the, if this is what you're all choosing to do. I'm sure she's a wonderful, nice lady. That's not the point. The point is, I'm going to speak very strongly here. God tells us that our gender roles, the way that men and women ought to relate to each other, that is meant to be a picture of the gospel. And if you're getting it wrong here, you, this is a, how can this church present a clear image of the gospel? That, that, I, that may sound like really strong language. That's probably what I would say. So I would say, hey, um, can we meet about this like immediately? Because I cannot in good conscience be a part of this church culture because I, because I believe you're in error. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. And if at the end of the meeting they say, you know what, we never thought about that. Let's talk more. I'd say, okay, maybe I can stay. We'll keep talking. If they say, nope, nope, we, we like our lady pastors and we're going to keep going. I'd say, okay, well, see ya. See you later. Alligator. Depends on where you are. I, I th yeah, I think it depends on where you are. I'll give you one example. I have a lot of friends who live in really small towns, and there's only one or two church options, and neither of the churches are healthy. Like, like they both have some errors in them. Um, so for them, it's not, a it's not a matter of, well, I'll just go be a part of a healthier church. It's like there, there are none. So what they have done is they've decided which one is healthier, 
and I will plug myself in there and do everything I can to help that church. So there may be some situations where it's just options are limited. Um, you don't have the ability to just go down the road to the next Reformed church, you know, because there is no next Reformed church. Um, so yeah, context could, I think context could dictate um, someone staying or sticking it out or working harder at one place before leaving. Wisdom. So I, so I guess when I, answered, when I answered the question, I answered it very much from my context. Like I would not, I, in, 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 the, in the West, in the U.S., I would not stay on staff at a church that, was, that had made that choice. If they, were make, if they made it clear that they were not willing to even have the conversation or, or bend on it. humble, be clear, be patient, like I said, some things take time, and um, like Mike said, essentially, be present. In other words, don't neglect all of your other duties, like, oh, we have a problem, I'm going to stop being a pastor and, and just give myself totally to this. It's like, no, some, some issues may take weeks or months to resolve, so, so make sure that in the meantime, you're still taking care of everything else you need to. You're still faithfully preaching the word, ministering to people. Um, you know, spend, spending time with your church, all of that, all of that. You don't set aside everything else just because a, a crisis um, arises. You, you make room to address the hard situation, but you keep, you keep being a pastor at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, do you guys have any thoughts or questions about that? I guess, I guess the big takeaway is be discerning to identify when and where change needs to be made. And then depending on how severe it is or how immediate it is, make, make a plan to make some good change. To make some good changes. Semper reformanda. We're always reformed. Yeah. How, so how do we know that an elder is managing their children well? I think we, I think we know that by making sure that in our churches... Our elders' lives are, as we say, an open book. In other words, um, I want you. If you, if we're in a church together, you all need to see how I, how I raise my family. Um, you, you need to know that. In other, so I don't, I don't raise my family on the side over here in a way that nobody ever sees. And then I come to church. This is part of where hospitality comes in. I, we have people in our home. And I'll be having a discussion with people, but when 8 o'clock p.m. comes, oh, sorry, everybody, it's time for family devotions. So even if we still have guests, we'll bring the kids down, we'll read the Bible together, we'll pray together, and then we'll send the children to bed. Our church is seeing that. They're, they're seeing the way that we discipline our children when they, when they are disrespectful or when they misbehave. Um, so, I, so I think that, you know, will one or more of my children someday rebel? Yeah, they may. But, but uh, is the church also seeing that I am working hard to manage my household well? Yeah, yeah, the church does see that because, because I let them into my life. Let, we let them into the home a lot, you know. It's, it's a hard situation. And some people would say that even if your adult child rebels, you should stop being an elder. Some people would say that. I, I wouldn't say that. I, I would disagree with that. I think, again, I think wisdom applies. If that, if that happened to where, a, let's say, a teenage son was rebelling very hard and it was becoming an issue within the family, 
I would probably tell, if that was an elder on my team, I would probably tell him, brother, you, you need to give some time and attention to your family. Like, I, I, w- I want to free you. It, it's not a punishment. It's not discipline. It, but I can see your family, you need to care for your family. Why don't, why don't you, even if it's, why don't you take six months to just, don't worry about elder responsibilities. Come off the leadership team for now. Care for your family. And, and we'll revisit things then. That, that's probably what I would do. That's probably what I would do. Because again, the elder needs to lead uh, willingly, not under compulsion, and with joy. And if there's a major family issue going on in his life like that, he's not going to be able to lead the church well. So give, give some attention to your family, and, and we'll come back and talk again soon. That's probably what I would say. Those are hard situations, you guys. Again, you're thinking pastorally. Good job. You're thinking about the right things. You're asking questions. You guys, these are, you're asking questions that every pastor wrestles through and asks. So good job. Um, so I just I want to talk about counseling and how the gospel informs it because we don't, we don't want to just see people change their behavior, although if they are behaving poorly, they should change their behavior. We want to see hearts change, right? We want hearts to change. Um, non-Christian counseling, secular counseling is all about you being happy. They, they, whatever it takes to make you happy, that's what they will tell you to do. You want to leave your spouse? Yeah, if that makes you happy, do it. You want to become a woman? Yeah, if you, that makes you happy, do it. That's secular counseling. Biblical counseling uh, does not answer the question, what can make me the most happy, but how can I honor God in my life? Well, how can I honor God in my life? And so let, let's talk about that. I'm going to share with you a model. I will probably draw it imperfectly. Um, do any of you know the name David Paulison? Okay, yeah, David Paulison died a couple years ago. I took his last class, actually, before he passed away. But he's, a, he's just a very brilliant man in the counseling world. And again, when Andy Farmer is here, he's going to go much deeper with you. He'll probably cover this and probably do it in a much better way. I'm just going to share this with you briefly. David Paulison developed what he called the root-to-fruit model of counseling. And so I just I want to share that with you. Um, Yeah, and I'm just going to draw it and then talk you through it. Who knows what this is? Think back to kindergarten. What is it? It's the sun. It's the sun. Okay. Now, when someone comes in for counseling, they are always feeling what we call the heat, which is why we draw a sun. They're feeling the heat. What do I mean by the heat? Okay. Say, for example, a man and, and wife come in for counseling because he has been um, very angry lately and, um, and borderline abusive, okay? They have some problems. He's shouting a lot. He's angry a lot. He's becoming aggressive. Well, one thing that we consider when this guy comes in, we ask the question, what, what is the heat? In other words, what is he experiencing in life right now, just like the rays of the sun reach us? What's going on in his life right now? now? Now, there's nothing going on in life that excuses his behavior, so that will not be the point, don't worry. But what is the heat? 
and th so this is just this is us just collecting information. That's the first thing you do when you counsel someone. You need the full picture of what's going on. You collect. Okay, tell me what's going on. Collect all all the details of the story. What is the heat? Maybe this guy. Uh, maybe he lost his job two weeks ago. Maybe he had a family member die. Maybe his health is failing and he doesn't have the money for, you know, medical coverage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The heat, th hard things going on in life. Those, are, uh, those things are not responsible for our sin. We are responsible, responsible for our sin, but these things are they're helpful to know as you're talking with someone. What is the heat going on? Now, I'm going to draw, you can laugh, it's fine. I, I'm not a good, I'm not a good artist. I'm going to, actually, I will change colors. I'm going to draw a tree, but um, it's not going to be a healthy tree. So because of that, yeah, it's going to be a dead, a dead tree. So here we have, here's the ground, ready? There's the ground, and here's this tree growing out of it. And it's not very healthy. It just it, There's no leaves on it. It's just these scraggly branches. There's one piece of fruit. Oh, but look, it's rotten. Can't even eat that. Ugh. So that's an unhealthy tree. Okay, so the, the sun is beating down on the tree. What are we experiencing? What's happening? Um, what's going on in this guy's life? We're, we're seeing bad fruit in his life. The yelling at his wife, the anger, the abuse. That's the bad fruit. Okay. What's, what's the heat? What's going on? We collect that information. Okay, yeah, life has been hard lately. Okay, yeah, you lost your job. Sure. Your health is failing. Sure. These are different things. So, at this point, we wonder, every tree has roots, correct? Every tree has roots. And so we need to ask the question, we say, we see the heat. The heat is a factor. But every tree needs to be fed, needs to be nourished. What, what, what is feeding this tree? Um, you know, here's, here's the stream flowing by. Okay, that's what's feeding the tree. And if the water is bad, then the tree will not be healthy. You're wondering, where is he going with this? Let me explain. We see a tree with bad fruit. Our tendency is to just go straight to the fruit. Oh, you're angry and you're shouting at your wife? Well, stop it. Don't do that anymore. Okay? Are we good? Okay. Well, the, the fruit of what we're seeing is the anger, is the shouting, is the abuse. But if we don't address the root of the problem, we're not actually helping that person. And so we ask the question, what is feeding you? In other words, what are the major influences in your life? Who is speaking wisdom to you? Now, usually, the answer will not be the Word of God. Usually, the answer is my friends, my unbelieving friends. Uh, they inform my life. Uh, just my own thoughts and hearts and my, my own thoughts and emotions, which we know we cannot trust. The heart is deceitful. The heart is wicked. What is feeding you? What is informing your roots? What are you taking in? What nourishes you? And to be frank, if the answer is anything other than the Bible, we've started in the wrong place. If I'm listening to myself, if I'm listening to my wants and my desires, if I'm listening to what popular culture tells me, 
if I'm listening to secular counselors who say, hey, whatever it takes to make you happy. If you're angry, you should let your anger out at your spouse or something like that. that we, that's not good. That is not going to water us, and that will kill the tree even more, and the fruit will stay bad. Hmm. On the other hand, let me draw for you another tree. You should be thinking of Psalm 1 through all of this, by the way. Speaking of trees and water, um, the sun also beats down on this tree because Christians are not exempt from hard things. We feel the heat as well, do we not? But this tree, at this, it's healthy, it's green, that's kind of green, it's greenish. This tree is healthy, it is green. Okay, we can use a little bit of red. Look at the fruit, oh, that apple, that's a weird shaped apple. Well, that's okay. It looks more like a t it's a tomato, it's a tomato tree. Um, the fruit on this tree actually looks good, interesting. Why is that? It's experiencing the same heat so what is different between this tree and this tree? I would argue, what is watering this tree? Blessed is the man who walks not in the way. Hmm? Someone, someone finish for me. Or stands in the seat, or stands in the place of or sits in the seat of, but his delight is in, he is like a planted by streams of water, bears its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither. Here, here's, here's the point here. We, we all experience the heat. We all have hard things in life. And, and those things are relevant. Yes, of course they are relevant. And I would even say, as a pastor, as a counselor, if you have a way to help with someone with the heat? Yeah, you should. If you can alleviate hard things from someone's life, of course, of course. If the church can help uh, provide childcare so that this husband and wife can have more counseling, for example, they should find a way to do that. If meals can be provided to the single mother so she doesn't have to worry about uh, uh, where the next, where the next uh, groceries are going to come from. Yes, there are ways, there are ways to help with the heat but helping with the heat is not going to change the heart. Oh, I didn't give it roots. I'm so sorry. We'll give it nice, healthy green roots. Yeah. Helping with the roots is going to change the heart and what is feeding the roots. So let, let me try to draw this into when we interact with people and when we counsel people. First of all, what is the heat? What is going on in your life? They tell, okay, they tell us everything going on. You need to get good at asking good questions. Ask good questions. Okay, things are hard in your life. I understand. I understand. But people need to see, I am, I'm sinning, though. Right? You're the person who's, you see that you are sinning? Yeah, but life is hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. I understand life is hard. But what does the Bible say? Once you get to an open Bible with people, you show them that what they are doing is not compatible with the Christian life. 
um, you are listening to these other voices, you should be listening to the voice of God. Do you see? Do you see that your behavior is not compatible with who God is and what he desires for you? Do you see that? And, and, and that's the big shift. We need them to say, yes, I do. I do actually. I see. You open a Bible with someone? Yes, I do. I see that. Okay, okay. Then we transition over. How, how can we change what is watering you? How can we get you some good water? And uh, if, so to simplify, we're, we're pushing people into their Bibles to read them and obey them. Uh, if you claim, you claim you are a Christian, yes, but you see that the behavior in your life does not match up with what God wants, that should bother you. If you are a Christian, that should bother you. You cannot continue in sin like you used to. So what are we going to do about it? You know, we're going to go to the Lord. We're going to pray. We're going to open his word together. We're going to make a plan together. And we're going to make sure that the tree, because the heat is going to keep coming, but we're going to make sure that we are planted near a healthy stream of water. The, the, this is just a helpful and good picture, I think, of counseling. It helps us get to the heart. It helps us get beyond just the hard things in life, and there are hard things, and ask, what is informing you? What, what is controlling you? What is, what is the loudest voice in your life? Is it yourself and your own desires? It should be this. It should be this. And we, so, but we need to show people that. Now, even when we do that, we're not going to change them overnight. Um, we, well, we're not, we're not going to change them, period. God changes them. We, we want to see little steps of progress. And so when you are counseling people, I just, I want, and I want to encourage you that one, because of the gospel, people can and do change. Um, I have often found myself guilty where there's someone, maybe in my church, maybe not, maybe in my family, like, you know, distant family, and they're a really difficult person. Oh, they're difficult to be around. And I don't really like being around them. Um, but then the next time I see, maybe I go six months without seeing them, and then I see them, and wow, they've really changed. The tendency of my heart is to still, hmm, is to still be bitter toward them. When it's like, no, 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 I need to stop and celebrate because God is doing exactly what he says he's going to do sanctify us by his word, by his truth. So when I see someone actually changed, I should remember, oh yeah, God does that. God changes people. He's working in me. He's constantly changing me. He changes other people. So remember that people can and do change, but also remember it doesn't happen overnight. It just doesn't. So what I encourage people to do, if you're counseling someone, one, remind them of the gospel. Remind them because of what Christ has done, just tell them, I want you to know you can change. You can. Um, it's going to be hard. Yep, fighting sin is always hard. Yes, but because of the gospel, because Jesus has declared victory over sin and death, and that, ex that, that extends to his people, we fight the war against sin as well. You will be sanctified and eventually glorified. And so give them, give them hope. Give them a plan. Give them hope. This, You guys, you can change. I'm so happy that you took the step to come and meet with me. The gospel does change people. Give, give them homework. And this, uh, this takes a while to get used to doing. I don't mean give them a lot of homework, but, but when people come to you for counsel and you, you open your Bible with them for an hour and a half and then send them home, that, that, that is helpful, but they, they need something 
a goal to move toward. So for example, I had one husband and wife. He, was, he used his words very poorly toward his wife. Very poorly. He spoke to her in such a disrespectful, demeaning, hateful way. It, it was horrible. Once we showed them, hey, this is not compatible with how God wants you to live. They saw that. They understood. They said, we, or he said, I want to repent. I want to change. Good, good, good. Here's two, and so I gave them a couple things. Here's a couple things I think you should do. One, you need to be in your Bible with your wife every day. You guys should start reading the word together. It, it's really difficult to, to be in the Bible with your wife and then to turn around and speak poorly to her. It's diff that's difficult. But the second thing I said is I want you to write out that section of Ephesians 4 that has to do with speech. And I want you to put it on your refrigerator or by your mirror in your, in your bathroom. You need to make it visible. I want you to see that scripture multiple times per day. To be reminded um, of who God is and how he expects us to use our mouth. And they did it. And by the grace of God, his speech is so much better. It is so much, he speaks to his wife in a loving way. He is kind toward her. But we gave them, gave them little goals, little goals. You guys do devotions together every day. Spend time in the word and prayer together. Um, commit this scripture to memory together. And then, and then let's get back together in two weeks and see how it's going. So you need to offer people real hope and offer them. And it, it doesn't have to be anything huge or creative. Give them small, realistic goals that they can move toward. And it's always centered around the Bible. Uh, Here's a song. <laughs> There's a song that, do you guys, do you do vacation Bible school in Ethiopia? You know about this? Kids go to it in the summertime. They go to like, a, it's like a camp at churches and they sing these songs. The one, it, it's such a simple song. We sang it growing up, but it's still, it's still so true. Um, maybe some of you know it. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll, anybody know this one? And you'll grow, grow. So you start, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And then, you know, don't read your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. Anyway, the point, the point was that Christian vitality comes from spending time with our Lord. Um, and so offering to couples. And, and this, was, this was a light bulb moment for me. I told you about the farmer in our church. He's a very wise man. He's, a, he's, he's very wise. And I was talking with him about this other couple. Like, I don't, what should I do? I don't know what advice to give them. You know, how can I help them? And, and uh, you know, this is what's going on in their marriage. And he listened and he listened and he listened. And he finally said, I, ha I have a question. I said, yeah, what's your, what do you think? He said, do they read their Bible and pray? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty basic Christian question. Do they spend time with God? He's like, I, I wonder if they read their Bible and pray. Like, yeah, maybe we should, maybe we should start there. It sounds so basic, but it's so true. Helping people form just the spiritual discipline of being with God a lot of times is, is just a huge part of counseling because what happens? They start counseling themselves according to the word of God. You, you don't want to take on a counseling situation that's going to go on every week for eight years. You want to say, let's meet for three months and we'll go from there. You, you want to give people the tools to counsel themselves in the moment so that he remembers the next time he wants to use his words irresponsibly. No, God desires for me to live with my wife in an understanding way, showing her honor as the weaker vessel. God, give me self-control over my mouth right now. 
That, that, that's, a, that's a counseling moment for myself in the moment. You, you want to, the goal of counseling is to teach people to counsel themselves and others. That's the goal. Not that every time there's a problem, they come to the pastor. I mean, there are some problems you should handle as the pastor. But you, but you want to equip your church to think in a wise way so that they can call to memory the Bible and apply it in the moment. You're, you are not the Holy Spirit. Uh, your job is not to be the conscience of every person in the church. But when the time does come for more formal counseling, it's good to teach people how. Teach people how they can essentially learn to counsel themselves. One thing I'll tell you real quick, this is just very practical. When you are counseling and, there, and it's like a husband and wife situation, let me, let me turn to Proverbs 18 actually. We, we really need to give more attention to biblical justice. And Proverbs just really helps us with some basic, some basic principles. Um, consider this. A lot of times, you know, a woman in the church comes to you, oh, my husband and I need to meet with you. Okay, why? What's going on? Well, my husband, he sin, 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 sin. Here's the list of my husband's sin. He's awful. He's impossible to live with. I don't know what to do. Do not in that moment say, oh, man, that sounds really hard. What a jerk. Yeah, we should meet. Your husband's an absolute loser. Ooh, do, do not take sides, especially when you do not have all the information. That is the worst thing you can do. Consider this. Consider this. Um, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Do not take sides. A lot of times, especially with, with husband and wife, they need counseling, they come to you, they want you on their side. You need to sit down and tell my wife how miserable she is, like how, how difficult she's being. You need to do that, Pastor. Or, Pastor, would you, would you please slap my husband into shape? He just, he's being a horrible husband and he doesn't. Be careful with how you respond. I would love to meet with both of you. And when you do, let them both speak. Collect information from both of them. Do not take sides. D down to the details of this. If they're, even if they're driving separately to meet you and say the husband arrives first, I wouldn't even go inside alone with the husband to start the conversation. I would wait outside for both of them to arrive because I don't even want to give the appearance that the husband and I are inside <laughs> talking about her and then she gets here. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I got, I got you, bro. Okay, let's talk now. I, I mean, just be very sensitive uh, we had a hard situation this uh, the, at the beginning of this fall, and I had to work very hard to not give the impression that I was taking sides. Now, when everything is said and done and you have all the information, and if it's true that one of them is in pretty big sin and needs to be addressed, okay, then we make a plan for that. But along the way, you show them respect, you show them dignity. Um, you, this is, this is a, what I'm about to say is a controversial statement in the United States anyway, but it's, it's so basic for justice. Do not automatically believe the one who's accusing. Yeah, in the U.S., that's the big thing. Oh, we must. If someone comes and says, I've been a victim, you drop what you're doing and you believe them. No, you don't. 
Not, not if you believe in justice. You don't. You, you hear them. You protect them. You hear them. You honor them. But you do not automatically take the side of anybody until you have the facts and you have the details. Does that make sense? This is such a basic thing, but I am telling you, there is a movement in Christian churches in the United States telling us that pastors must always take the side of the one claiming to be the victim. And it's just wrong. It's, it's wrong. It's, it's disobedience. Do not do that. Show them respect. Show them dignity. Absolutely. Hear them. Um, but do not automatically uh, believe them. Because there's always another side to the story. So anyway, that's just kind of, I just threw that in there. Um, that's, that's just a very, very big picture view of counseling. Remember, we want to address the heart, not the behavior. Now, if, if, a, if a man is, say, being abusive to his wife and there's a safety issue, yeah, that behavior needs to stop right now. She might need to go, you know, go live with mom or her mother for a few weeks until this guy can get himself under control. That's just a basic common sense thing. But um, if there's a safety issue involved or something like that. But in general, um, we, we are addressing the root of the problem. And the fruit will change as a consequence. If the root is healthy, the fruit will be healthy. And so how do we determine if the root is healthy? We ask the question, what are you listening to? What are the biggest voices that are telling you how to make daily decisions? And usually if there's bad fruit, it's I'm listening to myself and, and not to my God. So uh, we're, counseling is helping people to see that. Do you guys have any thoughts or questions about counseling? That's literally never happened, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And I'm glad you used the word sympathy because um, most people would use the word empathy and I just disagree with them because the two are very different. Empathy says I need to have the same experience as you. Uh, so if you are stuck in the mud, I need to jump down in the mud with you. And I, and I just don't believe that's true. Sympathy is, no, I'm up here standing on firm ground. Give me your hand so I can help pull you out. Um, I, what you're, so two things, one, one, if there is somebody in the church who actually has walked the same road as someone who's facing something really hard, it can be really helpful to connect them together to talk. Um, at the same time, I just, I just want to encourage you that one, one of the effects of the gospel is you, you, you don't have to have walked the same road as somebody to, to show them the truths of scripture. And you don't have to have walked the same road to put your arm around them and just say, man, that sounds really hard. I'm so sorry. And just to tell them, I, I, can't, I can't pretend to understand exactly what that's like. I don't know. But I, but I do know that our God is capable, you know, and really and big enough to handle it. Um, I've, I mean, again, I, so I've, I've walked with people in counseling through all kinds of situations that I, 
I've never, I, I was raised a pastor's kid in a pretty, pretty sheltered upbringing. Um, but the scripture speaks to, to all these things. So I, I guess if I were to, let me think, let me think, Jamie, if I were to try to, God can use anybody to speak to anybody if, as long as his word is involved, I think. I, I guess that's what I would, what I would say. But, but I do, I just tell people up front, like, well, first I just tell them, hey, what you're talking about sounds really tough. And I can't pretend to understand on a personal level, but I, but I do think scripture speaks to this. And so I just, I try to get the conversation over to the Bible pretty much, as, you know, as, as quickly as possible. And, and then you just prove to them that you care for them. You're, you're there for them. Be like, you know, you know um, let's talk again. Or do you need a place to stay? Or you, you, just, you just find extra ways to care for them to where... Um, and, and I've experienced, let me just put it this way. I, in my experience, there hasn't been an expectation from people that I have walked the same road as them. Like, they know that. In other, they know that coming into it. But they just know that I'm a man who loves the gospel, and I'm going to help them see how the gospel applies to their life. So anyway, just I, maybe just take that pressure off yourself. You know, I, th- I think you could counsel the, the meth baby, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and the people who have been through things that, You've never seen or walked through. I, I think I think the gospel help, helps us all do that. That's been my experience anyway. So sim- sympathize with them, weep with them, find ways to care for them. If you can deal with the heat in any way, absolutely, and then open your Bible with them, and uh, and just be consistent with them. I guess is that helpful at all? I don't know. Um, good question though. Because it's because I there have been times where I've been in, sitting, and someone's telling me what they've been going through, and I am so shocked. Like especially early in my ministry, I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. <sighs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's heavy, it's heavy stuff. Um, but it, but it's the same gospel. What do you think, Brian? Oh yeah, yeah yeah. No, that's what I mean. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, great question. How does our wife fit into this? If it's if it's a husband and wife looking for counseling, oftentimes they will ask, "Can, can Jesse come as well?" And she often doesn't even really say anything. But just having another woman in the room really helps the the, the wife feel very comfortable, just knowing that there's another woman there to to hear what she's saying. Um, what I do, Brian, I tell people up front. Um, I tell people up front. That and, it, and it's written into our bylaws of our church as well. That if I if I determine it's necessary, I do I do have the right to bring to get other uh, church leaders or civil authorities involved. Um, so there so in other words, there have been times I tell and if if there's some if if I'm counseling someone and it's getting pretty sensitive. Um, 
first, okay, sorry, let me say this first. I never meet with another woman alone. I just don't. Um, I make sure someone else is always there, and oftentimes that other person is my wife. So, so she's present for a lot of the counseling, even though she feels like she's not a strong counselor. The, the, women, the women in the church, they still look to her because, they, because she's a strong presence and they, and they love her and they know that she loves them. So she's hearing a lot of it anyway. Um, Yeah, I, no, I've, I've never surprised anybody with it. Like, oh, by the way, my wife's going to be here today. I've never done that. Uh, if Jesse's going to be there, it's always agreed on ahead of time. Yeah. Um, it's always agreed on ahead of time. So I, if, there's, if there's anything ever shared that I'm in doubt, like if it's getting really sensitive, I'll just pause them and ask them, hey, I, I, I usually communicate with my wife pretty openly about some of these things. So I just ask them, are you comfortable if I share what you're telling me with, with Jesse? And almost every time they say, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. Because they just, they know us both, they trust us both. They know we're not gonna tell other people. So it, it's almost never been a problem. Um, occasionally, I've had someone say, actually, would you, would you mind keeping it private for now? <coughs> and, and I've respected that. Um, so I've, I, I just always, I just communicate with people like, I, hey, I, are you okay with me sharing this with Jesse? I just, I just ask them. Um, there, there has been, uh, your, your second question, uh, so, with, so there are certain things that I will call the police immediately. Uh, very, very few things. If you, if you tell me, if, we're, if, I'm te if you're telling me that you are going to hurt yourself or somebody else, I will get someone else involved. And I've only, I've had to do that one time. I've had to do it one time. Um, and it was and, and it was the case of a, an, an older teenager who was still living at home with his parents, but he told me something he was strongly considering doing, and I, I made the decision. I, I had to let his parents know because he was still living under their rule and in their house, and um, so I did. And at first, he was really mad at me. He didn't talk to me for months. And then about a year later, he reached out to me and said, I, I see now that what you did was out of love and I, I really appreciate it. And we're, we're still very good friends actually. We just had coffee two weeks ago before I, before I came out here. So it's not always easy. But so if someone's going to harm themselves or someone else, and, and I tell people this too, like if, if I'm doing counseling with them, I tell them that up front. I just say, just so you know, I keep everything very confidential. But I tell them um, there could be cases where I, I decide I need to get someone else involved. And I say, like, if you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else, I, I have the right to do that. On to, uh, in addition to that, uh, we, just ha we have a policy within Sovereign Grace that if there is any accusation of um, sexual abuse, especially with children, we call the authorities right away to, to do an investigation. Um, uh, we get the police involved. So, um, w w there was one, a man, he, he came to church only for a month. He, did, he wasn't with us for very long. After a month of being a part of our church, he was arrested 
for crimes related to child pornography. And he's in prison right now. And so the first thing I did was, I actually got a call from the detective who arrested him. Said, he said he goes to your church. I just need to let you know he's been arrested for this. Okay. We contacted our ministry leading, our, our deacon over the children's ministry who contacted every, everyone and all the parents and said, just so you know. Now, this guy was never close to children. He was never in our children's ministry, but we just played it extra safe. Like, we're going to let people in the church know that this guy was around us and he was just arrested for this. They should probably know. Um, so, yes, so there, there are several things that I would, I would breach confidentiality for, for the sake of somebody's safety. Um, that's a good question. I've ne the one time I have, so I've never called the police on anybody. Um, the time I did call this kid's parents to get them involved. Um, I, th I think I, and, and again, we learn as we go. We learn as we go. I made a, I think I made a mistake. I should have said, you need to tell your parents or I'm going to, I should have said that. I did tell him, I think you should tell your parents, and he said no. I sh so what I should have said was, you tell your parents or I'm going to, but I, but I didn't. I reached out to them directly. Um, so and, and in retrospect, I think I would handle that differently. I think I would give him the option to do it first. Um, what it, yeah, but here we are. I didn't, I didn't think that clearly in the moment. So um, if I, the, I guess it would depend on the... it would depend on the situation that's a great question in other words would, would telling them I'm going to call the authorities would that just make them do it quicker you, you know like if it's like I'm going to harm myself and if you tell anybody I'm just going to I'll do it even faster I'll just I'll kill myself even faster Ooh. in that case I might say I'm, at that point I might just call the cops without telling them my, my father, I've gained a lot of wisdom from him. His experience with suicidal people specifically, he said in his ex observation, women threaten to, to, hurt the, to kill themselves multiple times, multiple times, and they rarely ever do. If a man says, I think I'm going to kill myself, he usually does it. You, I'm speaking broadly. He usually follows through very quickly. Um, so if that were the case, if a guy said, I'm thinking about killing myself, I would say, would you ha have a conversation with me instead? Can I come see you right now? And if he said, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think I want that. Then I'm calling the cops straight away, I think. Yeah, I don't, that's hard. Situational wisdom. I don't know. Yeah. You know the expression, the squeaky wheel gets the grease? Have you heard that? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like it's kind of like old old women who are lonely, so they call the fire department all the time. Like that happens in the U.S. <laughs> they call nine one one, and so the just so the, the fire department come just so they have someone to talk to. <laughs> like it is a little bit silly, but it, it happened. It happens. Um, not just with women. I'm sure old men do it too. But uh, um, so, in other words, you're saying. If there's somebody who, you know, you, you counsel them, you meet with them over and over and over, and you kind of get to know them well enough that 
This isn't this isn't really going anywhere. Yeah. Sure. But they're not but they're not willing to That's a that's a hard situation. That's a that, because here's the thing. My time and attention I only have so much time and attention. Do I want to give so much time and attention to people who are showing me that they're not willing to to play ball? I th I think what is on your side in that sort of situation is giving them a goal or giving them homework. In other words, I think you can get to the point with people where you say, you guys, I feel like we're hitting a brick wall every time. Um, here's something tangible for you to work on and do. When, when you get to the point where you've done that, then let's talk, Just but just tell them. But until then, I would just say, I have nothing really new to tell you. I, I need to see you take this step before, before we can make progress again. That, that's probably how I would handle that. And that, you know, because people will, they'll just come and repeat the same stories to you and take your time over and over. But if they're not willing to actually make some, an effort, then it, then it is a waste of your time. It is like, it is objectively a waste of your time. So um, I, I would, I'd get to the point where I'd say, hey, when you, when you guys reach this step, let's keep this counseling going. Okay, okay guys, thanks so much. Yeah, see you later. That's, that's a hard thing though. That's a hard thing. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and that's that's hard to do. Here's something I've forced myself I've had to force myself to do. If I'm in church on Sunday and there are a hundred people there, for example, some I w there's some who I'm actually closer friends with than others. Like just as a person to person, people who I'd rather spend w time with. You know, um, I have to be really sensitive to how I am perceived. If people coming to church every Sunday see me just hanging out and talking with the same people every Sunday as the pastor, um, I don't think that's healthy because they are going to think, oh, you know, he's always going to take the side of those people or whatever. I force myself, like, so my friends, I talk to my friends throughout the week. On Sundays, specifically on Sundays, I am forcing myself to look around the room. Who, who, have, I not, who have I not had a conversation with recently? And I will intentionally pursue people, people who I would not naturally gravitate toward on a friendship level. So, so it, it's actually, it's hard work, like actually going after the people who aren't good at having a conversation or who I have nothing in common with, whatever. But you, you need to demonstrate to the church that you care for the, the whole church. Um, it, I put it this way. Um, um, I put it this way. You should be able to walk up to anybody in your church and start a conversation, and it shouldn't catch them off guard. Like, oh, what is he doing talking to me? You, you, should, you, you need to be a man for all your people. Um, and that's hard work, and that, that comes over time. Um, but so you, yeah, and this is a, you're, what you're touching on is a really, um, it's a really specific nerve and hard thing of being a pastor is we, we have friends. I have people I hang out with in a, a non-ministry capacity, and um, well, to speak very specifically, right now there's a guy in the church. He's he's but he was between apartments. The apartment he was renting, the land the landlord is selling the building, so he had to move, and he hasn't found a new place yet. So he's living in our spare bedroom. He's a good friend of mine, has been for a while. Um, there was a hard situation between him and another single woman in the church. And I had to work very hard um, to prove to her, I am not biased toward you. 
I want to give you the dignity and respect to hear everything you have to say. And, and I, just, I just communicated really openly with her. I said, look, I said, I know, I know this guy lives with me. You know that he and I are good friends. But I told her, but you're a member of this church as well. And I just want to let you know that I respect you, um, that I care about you. And I, and I am working very hard to be, to, be, to be fair in this. I just told her that. And she said, I know, and I can tell, and I really appreciate it, you know. Um, but but what, you're, what you're touching on is a hard thing. So you just, you need to, being, being sensitive to perception is a big deal for a pastor. Uh, in some contexts, what would it mean to see the pastor at the bar having a drink? You know, that, that might mean something different in one place than another. How is that going to be perceived? It's just, just wisdom things to think through in your, in your context, you know. So, but if it was a situation where there was even the possibility that someone could view me as being biased, I, I would just come right out and say that. Like, I want to let you know uh, that, that I'm, I'm not going to be biased in this situation. I want to I wanna work very hard to promote justice here and, and to hear you both. Um, so even things, like I even told her this. I said, hey, I want, I want you to know, even though this guy lives with me, I am committing, I'm not going to be talking about this situation when you're not around. Like, I'm not going to be talking about it with him in the kitchen when we're both at the house. I'm not. Like, so I, I, I just, I thought through, okay, what fears could she have in her mind? And I addressed those very specifically. But as far as in your own heart, you just have to, you just have to remember your calling, brother. Like, if you're called to shepherd a flock of people, that means the difficult ones, too. And it means the ones that maybe they're not your best friend or even people, honestly, maybe people that you, they're, they're kind of difficult sometimes, but they're your sheep. And, um, and uh, so out of reverence for God's word and out of respect for, for the office of pastor that you've been called to, yeah, you just, have to, you just have to work very hard to maintain your integrity. Yeah, good question. That's a hard thing. Can be a hard thing. 